It's Sunday morning, and we are in a study on the narrow way. That is one of the most in-depth studies I've ever done. There is one word for way in the New Testament. It is the word H-O-D-O-S, hodos, H-O-D-O-S. Now, Billy Graham said, I've been talking about Billy Graham because he's a, he's a false teacher. People say, why are you running down your fellow preachers? He's not a fellow preacher of mine. He preached accept Christ, which is not true. Uh, he preached let Jesus come into your heart when you can't do that, when you're dead in sin. And he preached sinner's prayer for salvation, and that's not true. And my father preached those same things. And if I'm not going to let my father off the hook, I'm not going to let Billy Graham off the hook. He has influenced the entire world, the whole world, with this accept Christ sinner's prayer gospel. He did not preach the gospel. The gospel, the Bible says, is the narrow way. Oh, you find that Mark, the first chapter, the beginning of the gospel is prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the baptism of repentance, according to Luke, the third chapter, is prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. The word way is the word hodos. And the Bible says there's two ways, a narrow way and a broad way. If you preach the gospel, you have to preach the narrow way. Now, I've done something that most preachers are not going to do. Narrow is the word T-H-L-I-B-O. I passed out a paper this morning to you, and this has got this comes out of what's called uh, the Word Study Concordance. Here it is right here. Word Study Concordance. If you can't... They don't print these anymore. You look up, you will look up a word in your concordance, and then you will look up in here the same number, the Strong's number, and it will tell you every time that word is mentioned in the Bible. What I did, I took, I took out of here the the word Philipsis and the word Thelebo. One is the word, one is the verb. The, the word talibo is the verb form. Now, narrow doesn't look like a verb, but it is. In this case, narrow is a verb there in Matthew 7. It's the very first time the word talibo is mentioned here in the Bible. On the top of this talibo, it has the Original word, Thalibo, this is a T-H, T-H. It's like th, th. It's the theta. It's a T-H. It looks like two letters, but it's one letter in the Greek. T-H-L. An L looks like you've taken an L. You've uh, taken the bottom leg off of it, laying it backwards and put put the leg back here so thl and then i i b the b looks like a b 
I looks like an I. That's an iota. And O. This thalibo, there are two O's in the Greek. There's an omega, and it sounds, it's pronounced O. And then there's an omicron, and it's pronounced ah, like a not. Like a not. Well, the word thalibo, this is every time the word thalibo or narrow. Each time you find the word thalibo or thalipsis, T-H-L-I-P-T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S. Every time you find this word thalipsis, it will be either the word tribulation. Sometimes it'll vary a little. Tribulation or affliction. This is uh, this is the noun. This is the verb. You can see the verb. This means to be. Thalibo uh, means to rub together, to constrict or compress. Pressured. It means to be pressured, oppressively afflict. So if you're going to heaven. We must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. And the way is narrow. Now, that word tribulation is the word thalipsis. And let's go on here. Like when circumstances rub us the wrong way. You have to be pressured. It means to be pressured. Pressured. Who are we pressured by? We're pressured by the world because they hate the doctrines of truth. They hate a daily cross, the Bible says. Men hate the daily cross because their God is their belly. The belly was an old, ancient uh, Epicurean term. The Epicureans were the most popular, uh, one of the most popular philosophers in the first century, along with the Stoics. You had the Stoics, Stoics and Epicureans. The Epicureans said all you needed for truth was your own belly. But the belly was more than the stomach. The belly was everything that would satisfy your sensual desires, whether it was for a new car or whether it was for a new camel back then or for whether it was a new house. Whatever, they said that's the only God you needed. Well, Paul said men hate the cross of Christ. They hate the daily cross because their God is their belly and their mind. They mind earthly things. Earthly. Earthly is the word gay. It means soil or dirt. And mind is the word phroneo, P-H-R-O-N-E-O. And phroneo means their sentiment. The things that they're sensual about, their sentiment, their feelings are on dirt or soil. Everything you see, everything from gas to water to things and stuff, this podium, your car, your house is dirt. Everything you can see is sensual. It's sensual. It is there for the senses. Sensual means the senses. It's sensual. Everything. Matter does not increase. And matter does not decrease. 
when a house burns down, it's still the same house. It's either in the gases. As the house burns, it goes into gases, into the air. But it doesn't disappear. It's just not a house anymore. It's in another form. So everything, water, is a form of matter. Matter is what you see, feel, touch. So men like the flesh is what they like. Anything that gratifies the flesh. And if you'll notice, the second verse of under Thalibo, this will kind of give you a good understanding of what Thalibo means. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way. The first time it's mentioned, narrow is the way that leads to life, and only a few will find it. Here in verse 9 of Mark, and he spake to his disciples that a small ship should wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should throng him. To throng someone meant to press against them and not have much room to move around. So throng is the same word as narrow. Same word as narrow, to be pressured. It doesn't look like narrow is a verb, but it is. And thalipsis is a noun. Noun is a person, place, or thing. A noun is a person, place, or thing. Now, that's not something brilliant. That's something I learned in about the fifth or sixth grade, somewhere about there. And then a verb. Verb shows action. You have action verbs. Jump. Run. Throng. And then you have being verbs. Being or helping verbs. That's what we'd call them. When you study in the Greek, they will call them intransitive. They will call an action verb transitive verb. A transient a transit is somebody that moves around all the time. you got a bunch of transits down here on Broadway hoping they're going to become stars and they come here with their guitar and they end up living on the streets. They're transits and they go from one corner to the other. Well, being verbs are state of being. State of being. And I, a lot of times I'll put the being verbs on the board. Be, is, am, are was, were, being, been, have, has, had, do, does, did, shall, will, should, would, may, might, must, can, could. Those are all the being verbs. And every one of them are a form of the verb to be. That's very important to understand that. Because when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Am is a form of to be. It means I exist. I exist. That's what it means. I am. And that's the very words. When he said that the Pharisees took up stones to stone him, he was making himself equal with God. He was making himself the I am God. Well, the I am God is the God of the Old Testament because when the Lord told Moses, you go tell Pharaoh, let my son go. Israel my son, even my firstborn. Moses said... But what if the people, they've been in bondage for 400 years. What if they say, what is his name? 
the Lord said, you tell Pharaoh, you tell the Israelites, I am hath sent me to you. And of course, Jehovah, Jehovah means self-existent. God says, I am of myself. I be of myself. I am the I am God, and I am the being. And by the way, I'm not going to quibble with you about Jehovah or Yahweh. Because wise, when they are translated into English, they translate J. There are no vowels in the Hebrew language. So YHWH is the same thing as JHVH because a V and a W are just alike in the in the Hebrew language except for some vowel points. So Jehovah is Yahweh. It means to exist of one's own self or to be of one's own self. Now, I've been talking to you about Billy Graham. He didn't preach the truth. He preached accept Christ, which is a lie. He preached (laughs) sinner's prayer for salvation, which is a lie. Will you pray a sinner's prayer? Uh, Will you pray a sinner's prayer? Yes, after you're born again. You'll start calling on the Lord after he births you. Well, how does that happen? He has his people picked out. He arranges your life to cross the gospel somewhere in your life. You'll begin to recognize the truth, and it'll cut into your heart, and it'll be through hearing a preacher, reading the Bible, or something, and you'll say, I've got to do this. I've got to be this. I don't know when you're born again. I don't believe any man knows when he's born again. Don't believe that. And all the those independent baptists I was I know when I was saved. I remember the place and the time. Heard that till I'm disgusted. I don't remember the place and the time at all. I remember my father started preaching in 1949. I remember in 1947-46, as a little kid, I'd look up at the sky and say, Jesus, I love you. I want to come to be with you one day. Well, I was believing in him because how shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? I don't know when I started believing in him. I don't know when I supposedly got saved because I don't believe in get saved. Saved is the word sozo. It means to be taken all the way through from point A all the way through life. God saves us. He's ordained that we would be saved before the foundation of the world, and he saves us through all the tribulation and trial. What he saves us through is the Thalibo. He saves us through all this tribulation. Then if you look at the back of that, you got Thalipsis. Thalipsis. This is every time the word Thalipsis is mentioned, tribulation, affliction, Tribulation, tribulation, affliction, affliction, tribulation, anguish there in 1621 of John. Tribulation, affliction, affliction, and so forth all the way through here. And it gives you the basic same definition as as the Labo. It'll tell you here... uh, Thalipsis, T-H-L-I-P-H, 
TH L I PS it actually is PS it's not PH it's PS or it's the here's the the fee PH this is a one letter in the Greek alphabet it's pronounced phi or like an F like that's how it's pronounced this is a phi phi th L gosh that looks like an X doesn't it th L L I P H I S this is Thalipsis T H L I P S I S that is good to be familiar with. I wanted to put all these down so you can read them all. You can take it home with you, but it would be good to bring it back so that I, when, as we refer to these things, Billy Graham didn't preach this. Do I believe preachers have to go into all of the Greek texts? No, but it helps when you do so they can understand what this is about. Billy Graham was a false teacher. People say, why do you got to axe to grind with him? He was a false teacher. Jesus said we need to call down false teachers. He said, Jesus said, many will come in that day and they'll say, I'm Christ and deceive many. He says, many will, many will be deceived. Only a few people are not going to be deceived. You don't have to understand the Greek to know the truth. But you do have to understand when you hear these false teachers what they're saying. I've got a. I'm going to read something else. I've told you about how Billy Graham held hands with the world, held hands with everybody. He even said in this book, Billy Graham and his friends, he said, sometimes I don't know whether I'm trying to please men or God. I don't believe he really told the truth. Now, I'm going to read something. I've talked about how that he made friends with all the presidents, with all the dignitaries of the world. And there was a man named Malcolm Muggeridge that he also made friends with and put his approval upon. Let me read this to you about Malcolm Muggeridge. Let's look at some of the speakers that Graham has promoted at Graham's 1974 International Congress on World Evangelism. Malcolm Muggeridge was featured and received a standing ovation Muggeridge also denies the fundamentals of the faith. For instance, in 1969 book, Jesus Rediscovered, he wrote. Now, this is one man that Billy Graham puts his approval on. Malcolm Muggeridge wrote, To imagine this deity, that is God, having a son in any particular sense, and this son having been born of a virgin, and to have lived on earth for 30 years, or so as a man then to have died and have risen from the dead is, as far as I'm concerned, beyond credibility. This guy was a heathen. In 1988, in an article on Conservative Digest, he said he sees the virgin birth as an artistic truth rather than a historical truth. And addressing Jesus, he asked, Do you live and die and rise from the dead? As they say, who knows? Or for that matter, cares. Muggeridge then adds, I even prefer 
to suppose that some body snatcher accustomed to hanging around Golgotha finds out where the corpse of Jesus has been laid, drags the stone away, and then, making sure no one is watching, decaps with the body. The man contemptuously abandons the body to the vultures who in their turn leave the bones to whiten in the sun, these precious, precious bones. The Bible tells us that God's, that Christ's body did not see corruption or decay because he rose again in Acts 2.31. States, he sees this before he spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Muggeridge said, he has found a resting place in the Catholic Church and says Mother Teresa was a major influence in his decision. So before and after Billy Graham had Muggeridge featured at the International Congress on World Evangelism, Muggeridge openly and blatantly denied the fundamentals of the faith that Billy Graham promoted him. I'm not going to read any more. I've read to you a lot. I may read some more along the way. Billy Graham didn't preach the gospel. The gospel is prepare you the narrow way. You have to be in the narrow way. Let's read a couple of these. Read here. Look down here on the first page. And if you want to read a chapter that's really all about affliction and tribulation, read the first chapter of Second Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 1 and 6, whether we be afflicted, thalibo, whether we go to tribulation, it is for your consolation. When we go through tribulation, it's for the consolation of the believer. The word consolation is the word paraclesis, P-A-R-A-K-L-E-S-I-S. It is a construction of para. And kaleo. Call near. It's a form. Consolation is a form of the word comfort. To comfort is to call people near and to embrace them and to, and, and try to ease their problems in life. It is for your consolation and salvation which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings. I'm going through the same sufferings that you are. That word sufferings there is the word pathema. P-A-T-H-E-M-A. Pathema is a form of the word pathos. Pathos. Pathos is, uh, we think of a path. Ologist. That is a doctor of suffering diseases that have pain involved in it. So he says, I'm going through the same sufferings. When we gather together, we are trying to fellowship in the sufferings of Christ. Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Now in Philippians, the third chapter. That's pretty hard to understand. What is the fellowship of the suffering of Christ? Is that going back on the cross where he suffered and died and trying to place yourself up on the cross with him? No. The fellowship of his suffering 
is coming together and you're committed to the Lord and you're suffering and I'm suffering and when we get together we struggle and we say I went to my mom and she wouldn't listen I went to my friend and they wouldn't listen and they got angry at me and separated from me I told them about Christmas being paganism I told them about like I told my mother, Mama, let me tell you about predestination. She said, Jimmy, if you don't be quiet, I'm going to make you get out of the car. That's what my mother's response, and she was a gentle, sweet, quiet person. Never caused anybody any trouble. She would not hear predestination. Then, so when we suffer, we're supposed to suffer together. The fellowship of his suffering, fellowship, koinonia, K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A, of his suffering, of his pathema. That is when you and I come together and we have been, we're suffering. This gets to the word groaning. And we groan together. Groan. We groan. The word groan is the word stenazo. It is, I keep telling you that in the Greek you have a noun and you got a verb form of the noun. The noun in this case would be stenos. Stenos. And when the scripture says, straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life. This is the word straight. Straight. When you get in a straight, we're not talking about S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T. We're talking about a straight. Not talking about that. A straight is a narrow opening. When you when they dug the Panama Canal, they went from the Caribbean over to the Pacific Ocean. So they could, and it's a strait. It's the Strait of Panama. Well, that's what any canal is. It's a strait. We're in the strait. We're being pressured on all sides. And as we're pressured, we're pressured by people that don't like the truth. That's why we have to separate from as many of those people as we can. I've had people write to us say, you don't need to separate from the world. Certainly you need to separate from the world. You separate from them socially. You don't run around with them. You don't go to somebody's house that cusses. You don't let them cuss around you. You don't jump all over them when they cuss. Say, well, I appreciate you wouldn't do that. This is my house. I've told people that. You can't do that here. But I don't get mad at them because I know that's their way. And I, then I tell them you can't do that around here. And you you can't run with people that don't believe God. When you do, you're going to be, if you say anything to them, you're going to be groaning. That's what the Bible's talking about in the 8th chapter of, of Romans. Look over there in the 8th chapter of Romans. Since we're talking about the strait that we're in, and it's pressured, and we can feel that, Romans... I'll give you this again. This word groan is directly related to the word narrow because it is the verb form of straight. 
here in Romans 8. Romans 8. And all down through here, the Bible's talking about getting rid of that outer man from the previous chapter. You've got an inner and an outer man. And this is what we're predestined to. The inner man is Christ in you. The outer man is the flesh. It serves the law of the flesh. It serves this mind is on earthly things. Your mind has to be released from earthly things. Jim, how do you do that? Well, first of all, you study the Bible and you get old. If you get old, if you get to be 65, that's pretty good age to be, to get over self. Can you get there real quick? Huh? You can't get there real quick? Well, then you'll have to wait, okay? And keep studying. But there's something that'll keep you. I gave you this last week. I gave you. This is the same thing I gave you on Thalibo. This is a paper I gave you last week. Deceive. These are the words for deceive and deceived. The last one on the list is planeo. It's a form of. The next to the last one, planetase, it's a form of planet. These are all, and they mean to be out of the way. What makes a man, and here's what I did. I'm, I'm going to have, uh, Dee is the one that's helping me put these together. She puts this together for me. She's going to put together all of these for me so we can see what is it in your life that makes you get out of the way, out of the narrow way. There's something that makes us all get out of the way. I'll show you one of them. It's really interesting. Look over here. Well, I'm I'm looking at something here. I guess I ought to look at this first. Well, let me go ahead and show it to you. In Matthew, the 22nd chapter, here's what's make you get out of the narrow way. It's what made, and Jesus will tell you, that word planeo means to be deceived, err, to be seduced, or wander out of the way. It means to wander out of the narrow way. Look here in Matthew 22. Every one of these verses, why would God put all these verses down if he didn't want you to read them all? The reason I wrote these verses down, I had D make them out for me. I know that if I give you the copy that I gave you last week, which is just the it's just the words the label and the ellipsis each time they're mentioned. I know most of you won't take your Bibles out and look them up. We're making it easy for you to look up. All you have to look down this and read them, and it'll tell you what the narrow way is. But what is it that will make you leave the narrow way? Well, everything that's on this list, I need to go through here and show you all these that's on this list. Look here in Matthew 20. This will tell you what will make you get out of the way. What? Huh? 22, excuse me. Matthew 22. 
Then I'll go back to Romans. Do you realize all these things connected together? It's like one word. The word of God is one word. We're trying to pronounce it. That's all we're trying to do. Look here in verse 23. The same day came to him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection, and ask him. Now, they tried to trick Jesus. They tried to get him to say something that will implicate him. Then they say to him, Master, Moses said, if a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed to his brother. That was a Jewish custom. If your brother died and you're not married, you're to marry his wife, and the firstborn son will be the son of your brother. That's what happened in Genesis, the fourth chapter, that Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived and bare another instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And she bore Seth. Seth means substitute. Seth was a substitute for Abel. That fifth chapter of Genesis is Abel's lineage. That's what it is. Abraham had a son and called his name Seth. Substitute. And Seth had a son and called his name Enosh. And Enosh had a son and called his name and so forth. So they're asking Jesus an old ancient question that everybody that was a Jew knew. Now, there were with us seven brethren, and the first, which had verse 25, and the first, which hadn't married a wife, deceased, and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third unto the seventh, and the last of the women died also. Therefore, in the resurrection... Whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. And Jesus answered and said, Ye do planeo. You are out of the way, not knowing the scriptures. That's what gets you out of the way. That's where you'll... You want to know how to be strong in the Lord and in the faith? Don't listen to gossip. Don't listen to people talk. Learn the word and the reason. You do err not knowing the scripture nor the power of God. The reason the Pentecostals are Pentecostals and they believe in tongues is because they do not know the scripture. Everything the Pentecostals say is a lie. Most of the things the Baptists say is a lie. The Baptists don't know that baptism is not blood, neither do the Church of Christ. Uh, Excuse me, it's not water. It's not water, it's blood. Baptized, there's probably not one person in a Baptist church in Tennessee that knows that baptized comes from two words, baptizo, And babto. Baptizo means to cover. Notice it doesn't say in the definition to dip. It doesn't mean that. To cover. If you cover something, the movement is on the part of the fluid. It's not on the part of the subject. Baptizo 
with bapto. Bapto means to stain or to die. And what's amazing, that's what your Strong's Exhaustive Concordance says. The fact that it says to cover, to stain with a dye, the best scholars, even Mr. Strong and McClinic and Strong will tell you, you know what's wrong with these people? They don't read nothing. They've got these encyclopedias. Jimmy Swaggart has got a set of these just over his right shoulder on the TV. I want to write to him and say, give me those McClinic and Strong. You've never used them. They look brand new. If he opened it up, he'd find out and open up to baptism. It'll say, baptizo not being a verb. It's not a verb implying motion. It's not a motion on the part of the subject. It's a motion on the part of the fluid. And being it's a motion on the part of a fluid, that's verbal in character. And baptizo was originally, even Mr. Girdlestone will tell you. Robert Baker Girdlestone, one of the great scholars of all time. Hebrew scholar, Greek scholar. Mr. Girdlestone will tell you that baptizo was an infinitive. That is a noun with verbal character. It means it means the movement has to come from an outer source and it has to be something that stains and dies. I don't know of any Baptists that even know that. I have never heard of a church of Christ even discuss that. When somebody says, do you have to be baptized to be saved? I say, absolutely, but not in water. He's washed us from our sins in his own blood. We have to be baptized by the blood of Christ and the, and the issue of the blood will come from God. And a blood baptism was, all you got to do is look up blood in McClinic and Strong and at the end of it, it'll say blood baptism. Or you could go into... Mr. Uh, well, not what's his name? One of the scholars. There you go into his book on First Corinthians, the fifteenth chapter, and it's talking about Paul said, "I die daily," and the Bible says, and he says, and he says, some call this a blood baptism. When Jesus told James and John, can you be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? That was at the end of his life. He was washed in waters, water three years before. But the day before he died, he looks at James and John says, and it never occurs to anybody to even say, what does he mean? Can you be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? And one of them says, no, I can't be dipped in water because I'm allergic to water. I break out in hives all over. Isn't that ridiculous? The reason they err is because they don't know the scriptures. The reason they the reason the Pentecostals err when they get into tongues, they have no idea what the word tongue is. Oh, they'll look it up and say glossolalia, glossa, 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 glossolalia. You got two words for tongue. And whenever I give these to you, this is not something I made up. Great day. It's just the reason P. 
people are not in the narrow way is they err out of the way, not knowing the Scripture. And that's just one. You can go through all this here and it'll tell you how men get, end up getting out of the way. I was going to write something down here for you. I forgot. All right. So, it's about baptism, wasn't it? So, Mr. Girdlestone says, baptize is a noun with verbal character. Mr. Strong says, baptize is a noun. It's a ver- He calls it a verbal. If you're looking at baptism in the McClinican Strong, it will say, baptizo, a verbal, this is the way McClinican Strong puts it, a verbal noun. I doubt if one person out of 10,000 knows what a verbal noun is. Do you? You do now. It's an infinitive. It doesn't say infinitive in there, but that's what it is. But you see, you got to study a lot to learn that. And they're not willing to do that. The Pentecostals, they do err. They're not in the narrow way. Tongues is not in the narrow way. Tongue. I love teaching on this because what this does, Pentecostalism, I believe in Pentecost, but not Pentecostalism. Pentecostalism is taking over the Protestant world. Did y'all know that? It's actually taking over the Protestant world in the form of the charismatic doctrine. All those people claim to be charismatics. Charismatic comes from the word charis, grace. They say God has given us special gifts, and he gave us these tongues. And they don't even care what the word tongue is. They do err not knowing the scripture. Tongue, glossa, and dialectos, D-I-A-L-E-K-T-O-S. That is the two words in the New Testament for tongue. Don't matter whether you like it or not. That's what it is. And dialectos is the word dialect. Glossa means foreign language. And now, something they don't understand, and you wouldn't know it unless you go back over here to Exodus, 23rd chapter. And you won't know it, you won't know what this is all about, unless you know what Israel did for a 500-year period under kings. They went to Baal, Grove, and all the other sun and tree gods, Eventually, that was brought in the church and renamed Christ Mass under Constantine when he was trying to save the empire from a bunch of Vandals and Goths and Visigoths and Huns and Saxons and, and all the rest of those 
pagans rampaging across the European continent. In 325 AD, he said, I'm going to try to get along with all these heathens. Constantine was ruling the civilized world, which was all around the Mediterranean Sea. That was the beast world system. And all of these Huns and Vandals and so forth, they're rampaging across Europe. And Constantine's afraid he's going to lose the empire. So he says, we'll amalgamate their gods with the church in Rome. That's where the Catholic Church come from. He started the Catholic Church. It evolved into all the rest of the rituals of the Catholic Church. And that's the same thing that Israel went after over here. And because Israel went after these gods, Baal, Groh, Shemash, Molech, you end up with tongues at Pentecost in Acts 2. What do you mean? It's not hard if you study the Scriptures. If you come here, I'll reveal it. They're erring. They do not know the Scripture. You have to know that God promised them before the book of Judges, before they were kings, under all the kings of Israel, here they are right here. This is all the kings of Israel while they were a nation under kings. Starting with Saul, then David, then Solomon. Then God splits the kingdom because Solomon allows his wives, 700 of them, 300 concubines, which were secondary wives. He allowed them to all have their Shemash and Molech and Ashtaroth gods. So God splits the nation. And he t- keep telling them, if you keep going after these gods, I'll scatter you. So scatter is a part of the picture. Scatter. Scatter is a part of the picture. Scatter. Bell in the Grove. Christmas. And tongues. How does tongues fit in there? Because God gives Israel, when they're in the wilderness... He gives them in Exodus, Exodus, the 23rd chapter, three festivals that all the males had to come back to. He gives them Passover. And that is in the month Nisan. And Nisan is the month March, April. March, April. And then 50 days later, Pentecost, Pent means five, Pentecost, and then he gives them the Feast of Ingathering, which is the same thing as the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Huts. That commemorates their 40 years in the wilderness, and he has them involved in that and that's coupled with the day of atonement and that's in the and that is in the seventh month or our month september october so all the jews had to come back to these feasts here after they had been scattered all over the world and northern Israel was scattered in the 722 bc And southern Judah was scattered in 586 B.C. So Israel is scattered all over the world. And they got to come back to these feasts. I've got to... This is what they got to do. Let me see here. 
sitting find it. Here's a map showing. This is a map showing Israel's return from where they've been scattered. They were scattered from Israel. Northern Israel scattered by the Assyrians, and they end up migrating all over the world. Southern Judah's scattered by the Babylonians, and they migrate all over the world. And they're all over the world, and by the time they're all over the world, they're all speaking different gloss of foreign languages and dialects. And you might say, well, why didn't God just have them speak to Israel in Hebrew? The Hebrew had been a forgotten language by the first century. Only the rabbis spoke in Hebrew, and the rabbis had more or less made Hebrew a a spiritual divine language. You could only speak that in the temple of God. So the rabbis said, other people are not going to be speaking this. Everybody was speaking a foreign language or a dialect of the Greek. Every city-state had a different dialect of the Greek language, and they call that dialect a koine, K-O-I-N-E. That is the word common. They call it a common street language in every city-state. Without understanding, these people do err not knowing the Scripture. Without understanding this 23rd chapter, look at the 23rd chapter of Exodus. Look at this. When I get into they do err not knowing the Scripture, it'll take me to the Baptist, to the Pentecostals. What's wrong with the world? Nobody knows what the Bible's talking about. They don't know the Old Testament. I'll start teaching through the Kings, through the books of the Kings, first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles. And I'll teach on it for a long time, and people say, this is getting boring, aren't you going to preach on nothing else? You keep saying the same thing over and over again. Well, God kept saying that over and over, don't go after these gods, don't go after these gods, don't go after these gods. If you do, I'm going to bring the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and the beast. Don't go after these gods. He said it through all the prophets, and they didn't pay any attention. Sometimes I'll be teaching through, I taught one one series just on the kings of Israel, and it was about 87 messages trying to go through. And I didn't even finish. I see everybody's eyes crossed, and I think, well, I better change the subject. It's like, oh, God, here we are again. It's kind of teaching the eyes of the Lord. May I teach on the eyes of the Lord? And may I say, oh, you're not going to teach on that again this Sunday? I say, yeah, I am. You cannot learn without being extensive, without just zeroing in on something. That's why I I printed all these verses out on Philebo and Thalipsis. I want you to be able to read them and understand. God didn't give us all those, give us Thalebo and Thalipsis so we could read one verse on it, did he? No, he wants us to see this. If you'll read Thalipsis and Thalebo through this paper, you'll see. You'll start learning. I'm going to give you as much information as I can on these things. Well, look here in Exodus, the 23rd chapter. You have to look at the Bible as one great big picture. 
the tongues of Acts 2 is not separated from the kings of Israel. Because of what they did going after this Christmas system, God scattered them. They're all over the world for at least 722 years, speaking other gloss and dialects. When you get to Acts 2, these are Jews from every nation under heaven. What are they doing in every nation? Because they were scattered. And you can read... You can read... First Kings the seventeenth chapter, and you can see uh, second. Excuse me, Second Kings the seventeenth chapter. You can see northern Israel being scattered. You can go to to Second Chronicles the thirty sixth chapter. You can see southern Judah being scattered. You can go to the twenty fifth chapter of Second Kings, and you can see southern Judah scattered. So the Jews are all over the world, and they've adopted all these gloss and all these dialects. Well, how are they going to communicate with each other? When they come back to these three feasts, they don't even understand each other. The 23rd chapter. And if you don't understand this 23rd chapter and what he's saying right here, you're not going to understand tongues. You've got you to gotta couple this 23rd chapter with the fact that they're headed back to to the promised land after 400 years in Egypt. And when they get there, he says, if you go after other gods, I'll send the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and then I'll scatter you. Scatter has to do with the tongues. Because when they're scattered, they all adapt after hundreds of years to a dialect of the Greek language where they're settling. And those dialects, Mr. Samuel Angus will tell you, they differed as much as Spanish and Italian today. Spanish and Italian are both Latin languages. But because you speak one doesn't mean you could speak another. You'll recognize a word once in a while, but it don't mean you can speak it. And they could not understand each other when they were there at Pentecost. Look here. The reason the Pentecostals don't understand the Bible, they don't understand the Old Testament. Now here he says in chapter 23, verse 14, Three times thou shalt keep a feast unto me in the year. Three different feasts. Thou shalt keep the feast of unleavened bread. That is another name for the Passover. In fact, if you look at Luke 22 and 1, now the feast of unleavened bread, which is called the Passover, was here. And thou shalt eat unleavened bread seven days, as I commanded thee. The time appointed at the month Abib, and people look at that and say, I thought you said it was Nisan. Well, it was. But it was Abib in Israel. A-B-I-B. When they get over there to Babylon, it's called Nisan. Same thing. Israel, Babylon. You have to know where the Jews are to understand what's... But people don't know that, not knowing the Scripture. So they wander off and they say, I think this means... We don't care what you think. Then he says, For in it thou camest out of Egypt. That's connected to the 12th chapter because that's the... The tenth plague, or the Passover, when I see the blood on Passover, you. And none shall appear before me empty. You have to bring 
a lamb or you have to bring a half shekel to buy a lamb. And that has to do with Jesus coming to the temple. The Pharisees not only deified the Hebrew language, but they also said that when you buy a sacrifice at the temple, you got to buy it in Hebrew money. And they controlled the Hebrew money. What was the currency of the day? It was Greek. So when you came to the temple, you had to exchange your money, your Greek money, which is what they wanted. That was what Rome was behind. You had to exchange the Greek money for Hebrew money so you could buy a lamb. There's nothing wrong with selling lambs there at the temple. It wasn't the selling of lambs. It was the money changes that Jesus was angry at. They were cheating the people, giving them a low exchange for their money to buy a lamb with. Everybody wasn't a, everybody wasn't a shepherd. How's those... He says, don't return empty. They had to get a half shekel to buy a lamb with when they came over to the temple. And they were coming from everywhere all over the world. This is after they were scattered. Do you understand that? After they were scattered, they're all over the world. This comes out of the compendium. The compendium is a wonderful set of books. And I had this enlarged and had it put up on the screen. Dan put it up on the screen for us. So they're coming from all over the world back to Jerusalem. Notice those arrows are pointing this way. And when you're reading along and you read about Jesus runs against, comes up to Simon the Cyrenian. Cyrene is over here. What's that guy doing there at the Passover when they're crucifying Jesus? He was one of the pilgrims. He's the guy that helped Jesus bear his cross. Remember that? Well, he was in that pilgrimage to come back there. And when he gets over there, they can't understand each other because they're all speaking different dialects. Then he says, and the Feast of Harvest, the Feast of Harvest, that was another name for Pentecost. The Feast of Harvest, the first fruits, seven sets of seven weeks after the Passover, seven of seven is 49, the 50th day was the Pentecost. And that was called the Feast of Harvest, or the Feast of First Fruits was another name for Pentecost. Of thy labors which thou hast sown in the field, and the Feast of Ingathering, that's in the seventh month. There's the three right there. They should put that in red lights. Burr, burr, burr. It should be in neon sign. Because you're not going to separate that when you read it. You're not going to separate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Feast of First Fruits, that's Pentecost, and the Feast of Ingathering, which is in the end of the ecclesiastical year, which came in March, April. But how are they going to know, excuse me, September, October? How are they going to know that if they don't study? They do err not knowing the Scripture. I hate Pentecostalism. It's, it has permeated every church. You say, I thought that was just the charismatics. It all goes back to Pentecostalism, the tongue speaking, the faith healing. There's no such thing as faith healing. They do err not knowing the scripture. 
Every time the Bible says thy faith has made thee whole, every time the word whole is the word sozo, it's the word saved. Faith saves, it doesn't heal anybody. Now, if you want to look at other places where you can find this, these three times in a year, you can look at Exodus thirty-four twenty-three, Deuteronomy sixteen sixteen, and Leviticus twenty-three and four, and all of those will tell you about these three feasts that all the males had to come back to. But when they are scattered all over the world, when they're scattered, it's still the law of God and. What does it take for you to travel from Carthage all the way to Israel? What has to happen to a man's heart that does that? He has to be devout. And that's what Acts, the second chapter, says. Most of the, let me show it to you, Acts 2. Do you realize that all the false doctrine in the world is because men err not knowing the scripture? They're led out of the way. If you're in if you're into tongue speaking, you don't have any idea what the kingdom of God, which was Israel, was about and how they were scattered. Christmas has to do with theirs being scattered. Tongues has to do with their being scattered. The scattering has to do with their being scattered. All of it's a picture. And the 70 weeks of Daniel is in there too. Because he gives them 70 times 7 to repent of all of that idol worship they were involved in. Look over here in Acts 2. I love, I can't get away from all of the error that's in the world today. I literally hate Pentecostalism. I hate the charismatic doctrine. I hate it. Why? Because it's a lie. Do you like a lie? I don't like one. Especially one that leads the world astray. Look here in Acts 2. People read this and they'll say, and they don't go anywhere else in the Bible. There's a key verse here, and I'll read it to you first. Verse 5. There were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men. It takes a lot of being devout to travel this far to come to Jerusalem. To travel this far to come to Jerusalem. You live up here in Italy and you're a Jew and to come down here to get to celebrate these feasts takes a lot of devoutness. Yeah. Devout, Eulabes, E-U-L-A-B-E-S, E-U-L-A-B-E-S. That's the word devout. That's a key right there to the whole chapter. There were devout men, Jews from every nation not heaven. What were they doing from every nation? They'd been scattered and they have to come back to Jerusalem to offer these sacrifices at these three festivals. And if you don't know anything about the three festivals, what did they do for hundreds of years? This set of books on the compendia. Compendia. I brought them up here and let you see them. The first two 
are on the Jews in the first century, volume one and volume two, on first century. And it will it's got a section that where they say that the Jews were coming back for hundreds of years. And they would come and there'd be millions of them encamped all around Jerusalem. You could see tents as far as you could see. They were coming from all over the world. In fact, if you lived just outside of outside of Egypt and you're out there being a shepherd or something, and you could see these long lines of just thousands of people walking up the road, and people would say, who is that? That is the Jews of the Diaspora. D-I-A. S-P-O-R-A. That's the dispersed Jews coming back for their holidays that they have to their holy days that they have to come back to it and offer these sacrifices and they knew all the rituals but as they for hundreds of years they couldn't even understand each other they didn't know how to even get along they might one guy might be over here from Cyrene and another guy's from up here at Corinth and when they get here they don't even understand each other when they're talking in their Greek dialect they don't even understand each other. What did they do? The compendium says they tried to fix this a couple hundred years before. They started building synagogues. All over Jerusalem. They would put up a Babylonian synagogue. So these people from Babylon that spoke a Babylonian dialect of the Koine, they could go to the Babylonian synagogue and they could fellowship with other people from Babylon. Then the people from Ethiopia, they would build an Ethiopian synagogue and they would build a Philippian synagogue so that the people from Philippi or Thessalonica, they probably spoke the same dialect, they could come here and they could fellowship with each other. And they did that for a couple hundred years trying to remedy this situation. What was happening here? Well, the Bible says, when all these things began to happen, here's what these men said in verse 8. They said, How hear we ever man in our own, it says tongue, but the word is dialect. How do we hear Peter's preaching the resurrection and this man from Carthage is hearing in his dialect of the Koine. This man from Neapolis and up here below Rome, he's hearing in his dialect. This man over here in Corinth is hearing in his dialect. This was a miracle of the ear. They said, how are we hearing? What was the purpose of that? This is the pouring out of God, huh? What? Well, he was preaching the resurrection so they could carry this back. When the Bible says that God's going to part of his spirit, which is the truth, his spirit on all flesh, 
see, that has to do with this whole picture. In the Old Testament, from Adam until Christ, only the lineage of Adam through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and none of the Gentiles received this. But as of Acts 2, God says he was going to harden the heart and blind the eyes of the Jews and open the eyes of all flesh. That means red, yellow, white, brown, and black flesh. He says now all flesh will see the salvation of the Lord. That'll be the New Testament church all through the New Testament. But you're not going to understand Acts 2 unless you understand the history of Israel over here and their rejection of God and Him scattering them. And they were going after the same system as all these Huns and Vandals and Visigoths that that Constantine brought in the church. reason we know it's the same system that Israel was going after because the Bible says Babylon was the mother of all harlots. Babylon mothered all harlot means idolatry. So if Babylon mothered all idolatry, Babylon mothered the idolatry of Israel. Babylon mothered the idolatry of the Huns and the Vandals, and that was brought into the church and renamed the Christ Mass. That's why I hate Christmas so much. If God destroyed Israel by the millions, millions, six million Jews were killed by an Assyrian. Assyrian is the Caucasians. And six million Jews were killed during World War II. Hitler was the last, Adolf Hitler was the last punishment of Israel before God brought them back into a nation, May 14th, 1948. And the reason they were brought back, because God says, I'm not going to forsake you, I'm going to scatter you. So if I end up preaching on Daniel 9, 24 through 27, which is the 70 weeks of Daniel. And God says, I'm going, to, I'm going to measure out 70 times 7 because all the time you were a nation, you had a, you had a, you had a sabbatical year every seven years. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And they never kept those sabbatical years for 490 years. That's 70 times 7. And that's found over there in Daniel 9, 24 through 27. All of that is the same same picture. But do you have to know all of that to understand tongues? Yeah. I'm sorry. If you want an easy way to understand these things, there's no easy way. But if you listen to my DVDs for several years, you get to where you say, oh, gosh, that's not hard at all. And these charismatics and Pentecostals, you've got an axe to grind with them. You bet your life they're lying. They wind people up with emotion and say, you got the Holy Ghost. No, they don't. Holy Spirit's truth. John fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, John fifteen, twenty six, John sixteen, thirteen, first John five and six. When the comforter is come, he'll guide you in all truth. The Holy Spirit is the truth, first John five and six. It's the truth. 
And the truth will be poured out on all flesh because Israel rejected God while they were a nation and kept going after this Christmas system under another name. That's why people, they don't know the scripture. I guess I ought to give you a couple other things out of this second chapter. Verse 3. Well, let me go ahead and read verse 1. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. This is not the first Pentecost they came back to meet. They came every year. They'd been coming for hundreds of years. They just couldn't understand each other. They all spoke a different glossa or a different dialect. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. One day I was reading. Sometimes I'll just pick up one of my encyclopedias and I picked up a... a I picked up... A, the D volume, and I looked was looking at Day of the Dead in the, among the Assyrians, Day of the Dead among the Babylonians, Day of the Dead among these others, and it'll give you all these different things. And as I was reading that on Day of the Dead among the Babylonians, it said rushing mighty wind was a term for breath. That's something, isn't it? Why would God give the Jews something that was a Babylonian custom? Because they were in Babylon for 600 years. If anybody knew the Babylonian terms, it was them. Now, and then it says, And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. Cloven, boy, nobody defines that. What they, the Pentecostals will say cloven. Now, you realize what I'm doing up here. I'm telling you they're not in the narrow way, and they do err because they are out of the way. They're planetes. They've been called out of the way. And God is the one that's called them to stray. I can't stand anything that's a lie. Somebody gets up and preaches a lie from a pulpit. I don't care who it is. I don't like them. I didn't like it because my father preached lies. I'd try to call him down. He wouldn't listen to me. My father was loud, obnoxious, know-it-all. He thought he knew everything. He'd walk in bragging. Just but I'm this me and how great I am. There's one thing that humbled him. I did Eric and Karen's wedding in the house over there on Irvin. And I have a predestination wedding. I went through the whole thing. And my father walked up to me and had this little boy look on his face after I went through all this predestination, how the wife was bought and paid for by the bridegroom's father and a friend of the bridegroom, which would be a picture of the Holy Spirit. My father walked up to me and said, in a quiet voice, he said, Jimmy, I've never heard that before. Can I have a copy of your notes? Verse 4. 
That's the most humble I've ever seen him. Predestination kind of leveled him. He didn't know what to do with it. My mother was quiet and gentle and just the kindest person, never lied, never cussed. I tried to tell her about predestination. She said, I won't have that in the car with me. You won't talk about that. That's the toughest I heard ever heard her get. You know what I heard him say afterwards? What's that? <laughs> Standing in the kitchen talking to somebody, he said, I taught Jimmy everything. <laughs> <laughs> He's funny. I think he was I think he was joking. Anyway, <clears throat> the reason people err, they don't know the scripture. Don't listen to Pentecostalism. It's a lie. All of it's a lie. I have to calling things that be not as though they were is raising the dead. That's the gospel, isn't it? It's not saying Cadillac, Cadillac, come on, Cadillac, I get a Cadillac. They lie. Kenneth Copeland was one of the biggest liars walking on two feet. So was T D Jakes. So is Fred Price and Creflo Dollar. And all the rest of those birds, that's all i got to give to them. They lie to the American public, tell them to send your money to me. I said it last week, when John tells Gaius, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health. The word prosper is the word you, E-U-O-D-O-O. That is the construction of the word you and hodos. It means well way. Well, hodos is that word. Narrow is the way that leads to life. Thalibo is the way that leads to life. And it's a narrow way. It's a narrow. The narrow way is the prosperity of God. And Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the hodos. And prosper means well way. And health doesn't mean physical health. It's the word hugiano, H-U-G-I-A-I-N-O. This is in Third John 2. Third John, I wish above all things that them as prosper. What do you think God wants above everything for you? Do you? Does he want you to have money? Or does he want you to have the narrow way with the uncorrupt word of God? That's what he wants you to have. Back to Acts 2. The reason the charismatics and the Pentecostals say what they say, they're ignorant. I believe most of them are brutish. Ba'ar. The Bible says a man who will not receive instruction, he is brutish. The New Testament calls it natural brute beast, alogos. That's the word brute in the New Testament. Brutish is the word ba'ar in the Old Testament. And they both have the same meaning. When you look at the word brute here, these as natural brute beasts were made to be taken and destroyed in Second John, the second chapter, there verse 12. Alagos means, comes from logos, is the word word. And the alpha privative placed in front of it negates the word. Alagos means no word of God. That's what causes people to err. They don't have the word. Charismatics don't have the word of God. I don't care who your mother is and 
she goes to that church. Anybody says, I'm a charismatic, go to Pentecostal church. I say, get out of there immediately. They'll do nothing but twist your mind. Yeah, what did I say? Second John. Oh, Second Peter. 212, yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> I get things on the brain. Yeah. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate it. Second Peter 212. Now, brutish means dull of hearing. It means stupid. I have been complained that I call people stupid. I believe Kenneth Copeland is stupid. It means to have the understanding of an animal that cannot understand or hear. It's like having a a dog that won't do nothing, won't come to you, won't. We had an old bulldog named Charlie. Charlie was stupid. He just was dumb. He was a wonderful dog. He'd lick, slang his He'd shake his head and the spit would fly six feet. <laughs> he was a wonderful dog, but he wasn't supposed to be smart. Kenneth Copeland was supposed to be smarter than what he is. He's not. He's stupid. Stupid means you cannot learn. Ignorant can be temporary. Stupid is forever. And that's the truth. If you're stupid, you'll never learn. It means dull of hearing are stupid. That's why these charismatics, they like this money gospel. Look back here at Acts 2. They're putting to them cloven tongues like as of fire. Boy, you know how long I can talk about this. Cloven is the word diamorizo. D-I-A-M-E-R-I-Z-O. D-I-A-M-E-R-I-Z-O. Diamorizo means to petition off. Wasn't cloven like they show a red tongue over these men like this. And they show it like that and it's a cloven tongue. Cloven means, it means to petition off. It means that the Mesopotamians' tongue was being spoken and they were hearing in their own dialect and the Athenian tongue was being spoken, and they could hear. And the Ethiopian tongue, and they could hear. And the Rome tongue here, and they could hear. And so forth. It means to petition off. That's what it means. That's what that word. And what is a tongue of fire? Does anybody remember? In Jeremiah 5 and 14... The Lord tells Jeremiah, you go and preach in every gate of the city. He said, is not my word a fire in Israel is wood? A tongue of fire is preaching the gospel real straight, real hard with plainness of speech. That's what it is. When you see the two witnesses and fire goes out of their mouth, it's not talking about their flamethrowers. That's dumb. He's talking about the word of God is going out of their mouth in Revelation, the 11th chapter. When tongues of fire is mentioned, he's talking about the word of God. And then he says, and it sat upon each of them. He's talking about it settled on them, 
in the sense that it's the truth coming out of their mouths. And these are devout men from every nation in verse 5. That is such an important verse. You have to know who these men were from all over the world. The reason the Pentecostals and Charismatics don't know that is they do err not knowing the Scripture. Now, when it was the noise abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded. Well, I guess they got to back up. They all spake with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, the Pentecostals believe that the word utterance is guttural sounds. That's what they do is make that up. It's foolish. I'm embarrassed when they do that. Nearly embarrassed when I make fun of them. Utterance is the word apophathengomai. A-P-O-P-H-T-H-E-G-G-O-M-A-I. Apophathengomai. Apophathengomai means to speak clearly. So you can be easily understood. In fact, the word apophathengomai is the same word in verse 14. Now, if you want to find out, look up the word utterance. Look up the word utterance in this word study concordance, and it'll show you every time it's mentioned, but it's only utterance one time. Huh? Number 669. What? Oh, 669. Okay, 669. Well, here it is right here in verse 14. Peter standing up with the eleven lifted up his voice and said, the word said is apophadangomai. He didn't say shandalamanda kandai shandai siyamaka. He said, ye men of Judea. That's what he said. And then if you go over here to Acts 26. Acts 26. Paul has stood before Agrippa and told him about his Damascus Road experience. Then he's turned over to Festus, another one of the princes of Rome. In verse 29, 24, And as he thus spake himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. The word means to be crazy. You're a maniac. Much learning doth make thee mad, Jim Brown. You're crazy. You know, what's all the need of all this Greek? But Paul said, I am not mad and most noble, Festus. I'm not crazy. But speak Fourth, that's the word apophathengomai, one word in the Greek. But speak forth the words of truth and soberness. When you are, you're sober and you speak truth when you speak with apophathengomai. You don't garble things in your throat like the Pentecostals. I don't like that. If you stay in that, I won't hang around you and I won't fellowship with you. If you insist on 
this silly, stupid stuff. That's like trying to say, well, I think that the square root of the hypotenuse of right triangle is actually a fairy tale, and it's actually something that the hypotenuse was something that Rapunzel slid down from the tower. No, it's not. It's the opposite side of a right triangle, dummy. You can't just change things to mean what you want them to mean, can you? The reason you do err, you do not. The reason you go out of the way, you err not knowing the scripture. How much time do I have, Mike? I like to bring this out. They're not in the narrow way. Pentecostals are not in the narrow way. The Baptists are not in the narrow way. The Baptists are all accepting Christ, and that can't be done. And then he says here in verse 6, Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together, were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own dialect. In his own dialect. But it was wherein he was born there. The man over in Cyrene is hearing Peter speak in his dialect. It was a miracle of the ear, not a miracle of the tongue. Uh, I don't know why people insist on reading the Bible and interpreting it without going to the original text or going to some culture or custom or something that will explain it. We are living in a 21st century confusion of language. You know what the King James Bible is? It's a confusion of tongues, isn't it? That's what it is. And men can't understand. And we're living in a world full of error. It's everywhere. I, do you know I have never heard anybody teach on anything that I taught this morning? Where'd you get it? I got it out of my Greek books and studying for 30 years. The tongues. I've been studying the tongues for a long time. I didn't like it because I used to travel in gospel music and I'd go into these... Pentecostal churches, and that's 95% of gospel music is supported by Pentecostal tongue-speaking, faith-eating people. And you can't go in there and put your approval on them, patting them on the head. Now, I used to would keep my mouth shut when I was trying to become somebody, trying to be rich and famous. Now I will tell anybody that's wrong. I don't have much time to tell them, so I don't need to work my way around into some a good place with them. Don't need to do that. I'm not through with this by any means. Because you've got to go through here and see what Paul will tell you how that he was troubled over at Thessalonica. The word troubled is the word thalibo. There in verse 1 of or verse 6 of Second Thessalonians, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you and you who are troubled. The narrow way is a troubling way. People give you a hard time for being, for being blunt about the truth and insisting on the bluntness. I insist that God's word is true. I insist that the charismatics are lying and the Baptists are lying. If you hear a lie, do you recognize it? Are you willing to take a stand against it? 
I don't try to get mean with people out in public. Somebody said, don't you believe in tongues? I said, no, I do not. You want to know about it? I won't force it on them. Don't you believe in faith healing? No. I had somebody, a lady call and said, you can speak to that. You can speak. This is another charismatic lie because they don't know the truth. You can speak to those blood clots and they'll disappear. No, you can't. <laughs> That's dumb. If you say to this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea. A mountain was a capital city of an empire. That was Babylon. It was a destroying mountain. She was a proud mountain in the 51st chapter of Jeremiah. And Peter and John were arguing with Jesus for killing a fig tree when it's against Jewish law to kill fig trees. Any kind of fruit tree. And he killed it. Because he knew unless it was five years old or older not bearing figs, then you laid the axe of the root of the tree. And Jesus said, have faith in God. I'm God. I know how the fig tree was. And these charismatics make it. If you say this mountain of debt, be thou removed. If you say this mountain of doubt, uh, that you could have that new Cadillac, uh, just speak to the Cadillac and say, come hither, be mine. It's dumb. Y'all know that that's being preached in all those charismatic churches in America, and it is the doctrine of the devil. Anything that puts you at ease, you're supposed to be trouble. That's what these words say, doesn't it? Yep. Read them and get convicted. It's He'll say tribulation works patience, knowing that patience. We go in tribulation, knowing that tribulation works patience. Shall we separate from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation separate us? No. Rejoice in hope, patience in tribulation. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh. I can talk all day long just on these verses. I hope you'll get a hold of this. What causes all the error in the world is people like dirt. Kenneth Copeland likes dirt. He get, tries to convince people, if you believe in men, send me your money. God will make you rich. No, that will make you rich, you liar. And he is super wealthy. He said he's, said he's got something like $7 billion dollars. Now, that's a real good testimony for a preacher, isn't it? Don't like those people. Why is it that you don't like them? They steal from the poor to have their kingdoms. I'm out of time. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for truth. Thank you for your word. Let us learn the scriptures so that we won't err from the path the narrow path. Deal with our hearts and crush us under your head. Lord, fight our battles. We've got so many enemies out there that want to destroy this ministry. You fight them, I can't. I won't fight them. Plead our cause. When David said that, that means to fight for us. Lord, we trust that you'll do the fighting. We're not going to. We'll praise you for all things and glorify you for all this that you're doing in our lives. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.
Hey, what are you doing, little guy? Huh? Good. Huh? You little papa? Can I have, please? Huh? Both please have gum. Can you have gum? Well, yeah, you can. Sure you can. Y'all want gum? Yes. You want gum? Yes, please. What kind do you want? You want what? Green. You want green? I don't know if I got any green. If I do, you can have it. Hold on, guys. Girls. Now, what kind do you want? I finished all three of the books. What kind do you want? You want watermelon? Huh? I can't hear. Yellow. Yellow. Okay, I got some yellow. Here you go. What kind do you want? Huh? You want watermelon? Okay. You like watermelon? There you go. You like watermelon? What kind do you want? Juicy fruit, please. Fruity juice? I read the one What do you want? You want watermelon? Where's your little brother? Did you get some gum? Davis, what are you doing? Getting some um, these handouts for Michelle McGee out in San Diego. She wanted okay. to make sure she's updated with all these. 